Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. Welcome back to Games on Film, the podcast that celebrates video game movies. And as we speak, Great Britain has a new king. So what better film to choose or what better game series to choose than the King of Fighters? I think um, that's that's a nice, nice connection there, maybe. Yes, it was not our intention to be so politically and current events timings wise we, we had nothing to do with it was what we're trying to say <laughs> appropriate or inappropriate is this is this the best tribute that we can have for our new king or who would win in a fight between <laughs> no <laughs> probably not i mean i do like how we are we abbreviate to games on the film gof and here we are with kof and uh we share the word no no words are shared it's a completely <laughs> Yeah, we're not games of film. We could be. And this isn't be. King on Fighters. King on Fighters. <laughs> but, is this, king. but is this King of Films? I guess we'll find out in not, <laughs> not too long. I wish the Oscars was like, who is this year's King of Films? That's <laughs> James Cameron. He declared it when he won for Titanic and he's King of the World and no one has had to challenge him. Well, no, it's funny you said that because I... Well, you can decide if it's funny. We'll find out. But this film we're talking about today is based on, obviously, the King of Fighters series, but is apparently loosely inspired by King of Fighters 98, the Slugfest. And I watched like a long play of this particular iteration. And one of the characters, their victory text was... I'm king of the world. <laughs> and like, is this a Titanic reference? Because like, it was big and, you know, won the Oscar in 97, 98 or, you know, just wondering, just looking for all those infinitesimal connections between what we're doing and what happened in 1998. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we're talking about a film from 2010, mm-hmm. I believe. And... Yes, I don't know if I've actually ever played a King of Fighters game. I think I might have possibly on one of those, you know, all-you-can-play arcade machines. Is it like a MAME system, M-A-M-E? And when you kind of like search through the different games options, you're kind of strolling with a joystick, and it seems like half the games are King of Fighters games. um, Because there seems to be a new iteration every year or so. I think there was like some major gaps, but at least from the first game installment in 1994, there were a whole bunch sort of almost annually. And then some gaps in between because SNK, the makers, they went bankrupt back in uh, 2001, I believe. Um, But, you know, it seems that the series has sort of 
come in sort of fits and starts and and bounce back. There's a chain of fighters. Fifteen is the most recent title which came out earlier of this year, so it's still going kind of strong. But in the kind of fighting game landscape, you have your Street Fighter, which we've done the movie version of. You, you have your Mortal Kombat done the movie version of. You have your Tekken done the movie version of. But Chain of Fighters is 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 not not a, a, against the sort of quality of the, of the title. I'm sure it's it's very good, but it's it's not in the kind of upper echelons of recognizable mega fighting game titles that everyone could name a bunch of characters from in the in the kind of public conscience yeah i think my fandom um of like you know, fighting video games is pretty mid if you know what i mean like i do recognize street fighter more combat all those things but yeah i couldn't name a king of fighters person so that's kind of why i did have a look at the long play just to see what really differentiates this fight this series from the others and you know the games are, are by and large pretty gorgeous looking for their pixel art I, I think i do remember like a lot of conversation regarding you know people who don't play these king of fighter games they're missing out um but also one of the big differentials is having i think three fighters you'd be you, you select teams of mm. fighters and so you know i i wait i watched this film bareback i watched the film before i looked at any of the game stuff because i wanted it to exist in my head on its own terms mm-hmm. and so when i was going through the long play and, and the game background and things i was like oh wow the film has groups of people fighting each other just like the game <laughs> and then <laughs> i was just like well let's be honest here all these video game fighting movies we've done is usually groups of people fighting mm. usually there's a few one-on-one battles but anyway i don't want to get too bogged down in the film's replication of the games because that way madness clearly lies <laughs> well i think uh in terms of the characters because the original game it has original characters um but also draws from other snk games like fatal fury and art of fighting so i think a lot of it is just my confusion as to who is a King of Fighters character, because not only do you have all the King of Fighters games, but then those characters, you know, regularly appear in your Capcoms versus SNKs mm. and your, um, well, you have like Terry Bogard, for instance, sporting a Fatal Fury cap in King of Fighters and then appearing in Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. And I'm just, you know, for, for a fan, it's very obvious. I mean, I always kind of think with these sort of franchises, I'm kind of, I don't mean to be down on these things. I'm just coming from a place of pure ignorance. Whereas to me, like knowing the ins and outs of who was on alpha team and who was on Bravo team in the first resident evil game, is like, duh, but you know, <laughs> um, coming into this blind, I'm just like, who's a Kusanagi? Who's a Yagami? You know, which teams do they usually find themselves in in a King of fighters installment? Yeah, I only just discovered that Darth Vader was not created for Soul Calibur 2. He's he's these <laughs> other films. It's kind of bonkers. Yeah, I mean it's a bit of a learning curve and Apologies yeah. in advance to King of Fighters. <laughs> and that's the other thing as well, you thought, I know, I'll just dip into the lore of the game franchise and I immediately got a nosebleed in my own brain. I was like, <laughs> what families and like I mean I went into the the trivia section of IMDb, which of course is written 
not by professionals necessarily, but just by super fans of the games. And there's so much stuff about how the movie versions of these characters are using the wrong kind of elemental types of moves. Mm. And, and you know, that's that's naughty. If you're adapting... If you're adapting games, you should really pay attention to that. I, I recall uh, how the Pokemon movies, you sometimes have Pokemons using... Is it Pokemons or Pokemon? Pokemon using moves they shouldn't be able to use. But, mm. you know, as long as it looks, as long as it looks cool, <laughs> we, it should be all right. Yeah, and, you know, we, we've known the challenges of adaptation before. And obviously when you have... I don't know how many games were released up until this the f- point of the film was released, but you have a lot of games to draw upon and fighting games in particular, as we discovered with things like Tekken and, and Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, etc. You know, to the untrained eye, it's just a bunch of people having a fight, but you have all this lore and backstory and background sort of embedded in sometimes cutscenes, sometimes just on the side of the arcade cabinet which you have to sort of infer as you go. Um, But I think this film, you mentioned King of Fighters 98. In my research, it sort of suggested that, so the first game was King of Fighters 94 and and the sort of, I guess, principal villain of the piece, Rugal Bernstein, and the principal hero from the piece, uh, Kyo Kusanagi, are, you know, the kind of hero and villain of that game. And then the next three titles are sort of what's known as the Orochi Saga, mm. which is all about this sort of legendary demon, which is based on Japanese uh, folk legend that it's this legendary eight-headed and eight-tailed dragon serpent creature. And it's in the legend Yamatano Orochi, which is also all about the three sacred treasures which form the imperial regalia of Japan, namely a sword, a mirror and a jewel which make their way into this film as well so it's not just uh adapting a, a successful video game franchise it's adapting you know profound and important uh japanese folk tales as well um how much of that actually translates i don't know there is a big bull snake in this film a big ball with snakes uh, popping out of it. I guess that's that's then. <laughs> I yeah, and it only occurred to me what that might be. Maybe too late into the film. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got my notes. Cut to Rugal being threatened by a big ball of snakes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess the only other like the the other thing which sort of sticks in my mind about Kino Fighters is um, the artwork because you mentioned the sort of pixel art in game, which is is obviously very nice and SNK sort of titles, I think like Metal Slug as well, just have really gorgeous mm. sort of pixel animations and, and such. So really, you know, perfecting the form when people were moving far more towards sort of 3D and polygon based graphics. Um, but the other thing is the, is the promotional artwork, like the covers and posters for the game done by this artist uh, Shinkiro. And I really, really love his art style. I don't know anything about the characters, but he's just got this really cool way of drawing, which is clearly, it's one of those things where it sort of, it melds bright, colorful, you know, manga style art, but everyone looks really kind of human and real and solid at the same time. He's done the artwork for a a lot of SNK games, Capcom games, 
as a result, kind of Marvel versus Capcom games, you've seen as like interpretations of, you know, Resident Evil characters, other Capcom characters, as well as, you know, Marvel superheroes. But um, yeah, like I, I, I'd probably be one of those people who's like, you know, wearing the band T-shirt, having <laughs> not known for music. It's just like, yeah, I have a shit, you know, Kino Fighters poster of oh, yeah. artwork by Shinkiro, having not played the games, just because I think they look really super cool i've got a doctor strange t-shirt with the 70s art which i'm actually wearing at the moment and i actually really have got into the 70s doctor strange comics but there are there are a couple of characters i don't know who they are (laughs) and i don't want to be challenged on that hey like you know let's not gatekeep our fandoms you can become a fan of anything it's never too late (laughs) and you know I i can confess to my lack of knowledge of king of fighters and maybe having watched this film (laughs) <laughs> I'll suddenly want to play all the King of Fighters games and become a super fan. It's, Can you it's never too late. Being at an SNK convention or whatever and saying, what was your gateway? <laughs> well, it's the King. I've said we are chaos. It's the King of Fighters. We're total noobs because we keep calling it King of Fighters. It's called the King of Fighters with a def, def Is it definite article? Yes, yes. So is this film the definite article? Shall we find out? I mean, if I'm going to the SNK gathering wearing the King of Fighters t-shirt of the movie, <laughs> um, let's see how long I survive. They live among us, living normal lives, until called upon into another dimension, where an elite group of fighters compete. But when a rogue fighter doesn't play by the rules. His thirst for power threatens to destroy the universe. The fate of the world will be in their hands. From acclaimed action director, Gordon Jan. Maggie Q. Sean Ferris. And Ray Park. The film itself is has got kind of a lot of talent involved, and it's directed by Gordon Chan, who is a Hong Kong director whose sort of best, I guess, known works outside of this is Fist of Legend, which is the Jet Li Fist of Fury uh, kind of remake, which is very good film. Um, he also did The Medallion, which is I think Jackie Chan and Lee Evans 
uh, teaming up. Right. See, I was, um, you know, because I'm from the West, I was looking for Western films that I'd seen, and I didn't spot anything. I didn't, didn't, yeah. The medallion didn't stick out. But yes, you are right. Okay. Um, and um, but he also co-wrote uh, Hard Boiled, the yes. John Woo movie. That is the fact. See, I recognise that name. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. I guess there's not many Gordons. I guess in cinema. I suppose. Um, I actually saw looking at his credits. There's another film he did called Game Boy Kids. Which <laughs> what, is, is that a video game movie? No, I don't know. No. <laughs> it's kind of like a uh, Prince of the Pauper situation where one, there's like two people look alike. I think one's a gang leader and one's kind of like a simpleton. But I was really hoping to find out if like the simpleton was like really good at Game Boy, but he wasn't. So no, I have to scratch that off the list, I'm afraid. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you know, you do get those kind of weird bits in Hong Kong cinema where we seem to be just, you know, there was that vague... I think Tekken uh, movie, which wasn't Tekken, but you know, kind of was, and that Street Fighter comedy movie, which I think I've mentioned on previous episodes, um, where they're sort of using, I don't know, quite a lot of free license and hoping no one um, with uh, lawyers finds out. Um, I'll just say a complete side note. My 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 dear wife, she works in law. And we watched the latest episode of She-Hulk and something presented itself. And my, and my wife was like, they, they can't do that. And then turns out my wife was right. And that was like the plot. She kind of spoiled the plot <laughs> she, because they just worked it out on the legal side of things. So law, IP, so much fun. Mm, we know <laughs> well. The wonderful IP lawyers, we wouldn't have a podcast because all we're doing is reporting on watered down ip <laughs> <laughs> this is a parody and fair use i think yes. <laughs> um but also with the cast um they've assembled a few i guess key action figures of the time and particularly in relation to i guess sort of stunt performers so you have leading the cast you have maggie q who we've mentioned before in the context of appearing in Need for Speed Undercover, the video game. Um, but she's wrapped up credits in the lights of Mission Impossible 3, Die Hard 4, Rush Hour 2, not just sequels. Um, and you also have um, Sean Farris in the, I guess, other hero role, who has also appeared in a Need for Speed game, Need for Speed The Run, but I think he was coming off the film Never Back Down, which was some teen underground fighting movie at the time of this release. Sorry, you sound so dismissive. Some teen underground fighting movie. I have not movie. seen it. It might be really, really good. Sorry, all the Never it Back Down be, fans. It might be the teen <laughs> underground fighting movie. Um, but I suppose the sort of key um, figures in the cast... You have uh, David Leach, who was originally a stunt performer, but has since gone on to be a big shot Hollywood action film director, co-directing the first John Wick film, and also directing Deadpool 2, Hobbs and Shaw, Atomic Blonde, and this summer's Bullet Train. What? Oh my god, I watched that whole film. <laughs> I didn't realise it was him. But no, I know your backstory. Didn't he? Wasn't he like... 
Keanu Reeves' stunt double? I think that was the other co-director. Yeah, he doesn't but, look much like Keanu Reeves. But I think he's been the stunt double for, for many oh, um, actors. Of that course. Makes so much sense. You know what? I watched Bullet Train. I was I was had I went from I don't want to see this piece of two thousand and three looking shit. Um and I ended up having a great time. <laughs> it was it's like literally the only time I've enjoyed a performance by is it Aaron Taylor Johnson? Mm-hmm. He was good in that. They talk about Thomas the Tank Engine a lot. Okay. Which is always a plus. Okay. But, um, yeah. Well, um, yeah, so David Leach plays uh, Terry Bogard in this film. And I guess the other key figure is Ray Park, who we might have mentioned before in Mortal Kombat Annihilation and Ballistic X vs. Sever, I think in primarily stunt roles, but is probably best known as Darth Maul in the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Um... I don't want to show my hand too quickly, but I kind of wish Ray Park would stop trying to be a villain in things unless he's painted red like the devil, like a space <laughs> Satan, like Spaten. I, um, he's just, and you know, famously in uh, The Phantom Menace, he was dubbed by Peter Serafinowicz because his voice wasn't deep enough. And I feel like perhaps he's been a little bit burned by that. And like, I've, I've got a menacing voice. I'll show them. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Toad. I'm an X Man. No, you're what's your Magneto man? I'm 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 a Brotherhood of Mutants. Toad. Oh god, I'm doing it again. Sorry, I did tongue effects in my last episode. I mean, speaking of the last episode, I want to point out an actor, um, a hero, Kanagawa. Uh, I mentioned in the last episode how I recognised Pete uh, David Cronenberg from Star Trek Discovery, and lo and behold, this actor. Uh, is in Star Trek Discovery playing a, a doctor. So I got this real vibe watching the film. Like, this is filmed in Toronto, isn't it? This is filmed <laughs> in Canada. I'll tell you why. Every single outdoor scene has snow in the background, <laughs> even flashbacks from years ago. It all, everything seems to have happened when it's snowing. <laughs> so who does this guy play in the film? Um, he plays Saisu uh, Kazanagi. So he's basically Kusanagi. playing Kusanagi, who's the father of Sean Farris's character. Okay. They have, as you can probably tell, a striking similarity <laughs> to each other. I um, think we'll get into that. Yeah. But just to round out the cast, well, as a as a Bond fan, did you note Will Yun Lee, who plays Iori Yagami? He's in Die Another Day. He is indeed. And again, to my shame, I spent like half the film trying to work out what he's from what i've seen him in and then i i was texting my friend i'm watching this film and they said oh starring dying of the days will young lee and i was like oh god that's where he's from <laughs> yes uh, why don't you yeah. just use letterbots like a normal person well i was i was just engrossed in the film i didn't want to <laughs> break the magic for a moment <laughs> well shall we talk about the magic i've got i've got the um the dvd <laughs> It's very jealous you have the DVD. I, have to, I bought this thing on my... Uh, on. Uh... I bought this thing too. I, I know. Wait, how, how do you think I got it? <laughs> well, I imagine... It, it was just a gets... Christmas present. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just I said for ease, I added it to the Games on Film YouTube library containing this Monster Hunter and Postal presently. Mm. So, um, 
like building our own little film festival. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I would pay to watch that um, triple bill, but um, I guess we did. <laughs> we did. You can watch it over and over and over and over and over again and over again, over and over. Well, um, the DVD bots, it says on the front, based on the best-selling video game, which um, is par for the course when it comes to video game movies. Based on the flop video game <laughs> franchise, what is this the cheapest IP we could buy? <laughs> um, oh. And the reverse, it says, a tournament of legends. If you're lucky enough to be invited to the secret King of Fighters tournament, you step out of time and space and into another place, the tournament dimension. The King of Fighters is a stylish, high-octane, live-action feature based on the highly successful video game franchise. The last surviving descendants of three legendary clans are continuously transported to other dimensions to test their martial arts skills against an evil force that seeks to invade and infect the real world. Starring Maggie Q, Sean Farris and Ray Park in pure martial arts action. You'll be on the edge of your seat from start to finish. I really need to make a note of how many times I'm told I'm going to be on the edge of my seat. If people saw how I sat, they'd understand why I get back problems sometimes. I just, <laughs> I'm sloping off the sofa. <laughs> You'll slope off the sofa. <laughs> I'm sort of on the edge of my seat. I've got my foot on a footstool. I'm actually propping myself up a bit with a coffee table. I'm like just sort of this vast white fat bridge of a man <laughs> so supporting a few i don't know it's um not the a great sight the problem is is that the number of times i'm told to sit back relax and enjoy <laughs> and then i have to be on the edge of my seat yep i don't know i'm just gonna lie on my, lie on the floor <laughs> like sort of with the popcorn bag over my mouth Anyway, that's a that's an image. <laughs> um, so, just before we get into like deep spoilers, what did you make of the King of Fighters? Well, when we decided to watch this film, and and it's not that we're running out of fresh content, <laughs> but, but but we're sort of we're we're reaching the point where we've kind of seen the first installments of a lot of stuff, um, and when it comes to fighting things, there's obviously things we could still cover, particularly animated stuff. So there's Tekken Bloodline, there's the Shenmue animated series, there's um, two Mortal Kombat Legends animated movies we haven't covered, and, you know, who knows if we will. But um, King of Fighters, as we explained, was not something which um, had been on our gameplay radar. So I approached this wondering, is this going to be... Because we already know how much we enjoy Street Fighter, the movie, and Mortal Kombat, the movie. And we wonder, I wondered, is this going to be more kind of DOA, dead or alive, like a, a delightful surprise? Or is this going to be more of a Tekken, which is a bit of a joyless slog? And I think this might be more of a Tekken. And even maybe less than a Tekken. In oh, that... Such a Tekken, oh my god. God, I think it's just a 202010 <laughs> Tekken movie, <laughs> like um, the movie Tekken, which was also yeah. released in 20. Well, we still got a Tekken movie sequel to watch. Um, yeah, this isn't good. Um, 
not gonna beat around the bush any longer. It's it's not good, and it's a shame because it has the potential to be like in entertaining trash when you kind of explain the the concept and particularly this kind of interdimensional tournament realm concept, which seems to not exist in the games as far as I am aware. At least from my kind of understanding of the plot, it's it's just a device in it's... which to have the fights take place in a sort of semi-video game-esque realm. Yeah, I mean, this force has just come to me. I think sometimes you take an IP and then it's like the Masters of the Universe movie. They go into the real world to save from budget. But this one sort of does the inverse where they go from the real world into like a fantasy world to fight. It's not unlike Exorcist's. No. Um, in in that respect, uh, and also in the respect that some of the fashion and hair is just gross <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> Again, as well. it's shot on Canada. I don't want to hate on Canada. I love every, I love loads of things about Canada, like Tim Hortons and maple syrup. Uh, yeah, and <laughs> Tim Hortons, but, but, but just not their hair and makeup departments. <laughs> no, they they suck. I mean, if I'm watching Star Trek, which is filmed in Canada, they 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 don't even look human sometimes. <laughs> they look so weird. They've got all this weird stuff on their foreheads. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> I think they need more foundation. Um, yeah, I, I I think it's just it has when you explain the kind of concept and explain you know the kind of the stunt performers involved and and the talent you know potentially behind the camera and all this kind of stuff, you sort of think. Well, this should at least be, you know, you know, this, this, it, it sounds like it should be as good as DOA, where it kind of acknowledges its, its ridiculousness, plays into it and becomes something kind of colourful, fun, exciting, engaging, with its tongue in cheek and a, and a wink to the camera. Um, but this film, I just don't think it's like clever enough to do that. And for all the, you know, clearly skilled fighters involved and choreography involved, there's very little of the fights which are actually entertaining. The plot is really tiresome. And everything is filmed at a 45 degree angle. (laughs) 90% of the film, and I'm not kidding. It's like the most Dutch film I've ever seen in terms of Dutch (laughs) angles. At least, yeah, I'm not joking when I say uh, probably, you know, between 80 and 90% of this film is like it was filmed on a sinking ship. Yeah. Just, it's, everything is just this triangular, <laughs> like, it dialogue scenes, fight scenes, people just, like, standing still, walking, sitting down, doesn't matter. And it just, oh... It really annoyed me. I think one of the earlier scenes is in like a hotel and it looks like we're in Inception. So <laughs> maybe like you know, Inception came out in 2010. Maybe we were taking a leaf out of Christopher Nolan's book. I tried to beat him to the punch as it were. But yeah, it's mm. um, there are times when like someone stands up and the Dutch angle follows them from one angle to another angle. I mean, you bat- Adam West's Batman would be <laughs> proud. It's uh, Yeah, I mean, I think I probably got a little seasick just watching this movie oh <laughs> uh, well look i wrote in my notes as well i mean just in case you've not heard our dead or alive doa dead or alive episode 
despite its reputation, we had a hell of a lot of fun because it was completely bonkers. And I, I'm scared to revisit it now. I because I wonder no, whether I did like it as much because it was early on in our recording. I believe I have faith that <laughs> it's still fantastic because the characters were big. The villain, played by Eric Roberts, was just having a lot of fun and being big everyone was kind of like aware of how silly it all was mm. and i think the big problem with this film is that it takes itself quite seriously um the, i will say though the first 20 minutes of this film i thought were barnstorming so i mean in the first 20 minutes you have like a, a complete out of the blue someone's transported to the fight dimension and they have a fight in like a meat locker you don't know what the hell is going on. It reminds me of the start of Highlander, where like immortals are starting to just in a car park fighting at each other with swords. You're like, what? What's going on here? And then we have like a James Bond meets Kung Fu style title sequence with like silhouetted fighters, and I'm like, okay, okay. So we've got a Highlander opening. We've got a James Bond title sequence, and then. The next ten minutes of the film is kind of again we're not quite not spoilers yet. I'm just talking about the, the the opening act really. But there's like that's when the villain Ray Park like does a heist of this of these weapons and there's just a real energy behind it. It's really funny. Have, have you seen Tenant? Yes. <laughs> so that film opens with like a raid on a theater. And I'm like, this is better than Tenant. <laughs> <laughs> I no, I do, I do agree that the opening act, I was really up for it. Yeah, and, and I think there's... it all gets, it all goes downhill after Ray Park disappears into a magic portal via a mirror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, Ray Park, he seems to have no luck with special effects since <laughs> um, the Phantom Mess because he's just that toad thing. It's yeah, not not a great look, but up until that point, and I went back and I watched, and I said, yeah, twenty minutes in is when he disappears through his magic mirror into like into the fight dimension. You know, before that, we get the explanation of the fight dimension. It feels, you know, it does feel like the start of Mortal Kombat, where you you you're told all this lore, and you get taken in Mortal Kombat's case an island, but here you get to like this this fantasy fancy posh. Um, tournament or group group like a secret society i don't know but i was with yeah, it the, the, it's I'm the like, idea is that it's like rather than an underground fight club which people are joining it's sort of like a tournament but people are doing it for fun mm. um and how underground can this fight club be so underground that it's not even taking place in our universe <laughs> yeah i mean throughout all this again i have no concept of what an actual king of fighters fan is like i, I do wonder if they effing hate <laughs> just this whole dimension thing and i completely get it i do like how this fight dimension allows them to do fireballs and special moves which is something we don't really get in a lot of fighting films i mean we, we're seeing a bit more now with the Mortal combat um remake of a couple of years ago but i know it looks shite but i <laughs> like a cgi fireball and i agree i i think sort of with the the dimension thing and and also at one point this uh geek mentions multiverse theory so mm -hmm. it's way ahead of doctor strange and 
everything everywhere all at once in terms of <laughs> yeah, representing. This is the OG. <laughs> yeah, the I, won't, I will not research this further. <laughs> um, so there is mention to that. And I, I think it's one of those things where it's so pivotal to this film. And it's also kind of what makes the film. Because I think if it was just an underground fighting tournament with the rest of the film that's in place, this would be even worse. The fact that this has this ridiculous concept of people entering a tournament dimension via a Bluetooth earphone (laughs) um, just adds this kind of layer of nonsense and, but kind of like, it's very bold and it just adds this layer of color, which the film does not deserve to have. And I think that's like that opening 20 minutes plus just the very concept of people entering this dimension to have a fist fight for fun um, is, is, is all this has really got going for it. Well, the secret of the treasures are meant to be kept within the clans. Oh. Well, I can tell you a little. Okay. The Asakani no Makatama was created by my ancestors almost 2,000 years ago. At that time, the necklace possessed the energy to unlock the door. That's the key. The Yada mirror is the door. And it was the Yada clan who first created the mirror. Chizuru is the last descendant of that clan. And do you remember what happens when, uh, when you direct the energy of the necklace into the shield? You unlock the passageway to the other dimension. Exactly. But I still don't understand. I mean, you have necklace and a mirror it's not logical how oh it's logical i forgot yuri we're using earpieces i mean how does that even happen look i know it doesn't look like much but that's the point chizuru's father was a genius he was able to consolidate the existing energy waves from these artifacts and condense them into the earpieces we're using today now at the push of a button we're able to Enter another dimension. Wow. Well, it's crazy. What about the third one? It's the Kusanagi sword. Most important of the treasures. Only the sword can defeat the Orochi. What is that? The Orochi is a spirit, or a demon, that was banished to the dimension 1800 years ago. Legend has him promising unlimited power to anyone that frees him. But he would have to possess all three treasures to do so. What would happen if he was freed? That's a lesson for another day. When you're ready. Hopefully soon. So for the first 20 minutes, they're telling you about all this stuff and I'm really here for it. Um, But then we just spend lots of time with the characters and again, not unlike Dead or Alive, all these characters are just really boring and all the performances are pretty bad. I would say like the only person giving it any sort of uh, charisma is um, Will Young Lee. I think everyone else is either average or just bad. <laughs> and yeah, as you said, the fighting, 
I'm sure is well choreographed, but shot not terribly well. And yeah, it's just it has it had so much potential. I mean, you know, we're sat here thinking, oh, if only the King of Fighters movie was <laughs> had so much potential. It does. It's got this crazy premise, but it just just squanders it sadly. Yeah. And yeah, I I agree totally about the fights, just not very interesting. And, and like at the start, I thought, oh, this be, could be kind of fun because they've got all these sort of effects and like the fireballs and stuff. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this is like Scott Pilgrim, um, you know, not quite the same, but just having that sort of layer of effects on top of the fights rather than, you know, the, the big fireballs, etc. that do sort of a- appear later. Um but yeah, if you have a kind of fighting movie and you're not interested in the fighting, you're not interested in the characters, you're not interested in the story, um, <laughs> it's 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 a bit of a chore, sadly. Well, shall we go into some particular nitty gritty bits? Um, sure. I mean, again, as always on this podcast, we're not we we want to celebrate, and there is stuff I like. I just need to find it in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I will say is. Um, is that I agree as well with the performances. And I, I think, you know, a great stunt performer does not a great actor make. And sometimes mm. you do get both. And it's not to sort of, again, be down on stunt performers and the and the work that they do. And there is some joy as well of saying, oh, the person who's doing the fights is the same person who's doing the dialogue for the most part because you can believe more of what's happening. Um, but well, it's a real, is, it's real hit and miss. You're not, you're not going to ask a stuntman to do like an Oscar winning speech in like a movie. And then you're also not going to get like Robert De Niro or whoever and push him off a building and see if he can, see if he can land correctly. You know, <laughs> like, he's not a cat. <laughs> But he yeah, landed on I mean, his feet, but his feet are now where his, you know, where his ears should be. But, um, you know, I, I was no great fan of the film, but I was a fan of Scott Adkins in Matt's Cloud, which we hmm. covered previously. Um, and there wasn't a performance like that in the film. And I agree that William Lee was probably the best performer and had the most interesting character. Yeah, he was giving it. Um, I think his character, he... There's a, you know, as typical of these sort of things, there's a bit of vengeance. People are meant to be enemies of each other. <laughs> so, it, but it did remind me a bit of, um, I mean, I went to see that recent G.I. Joe film. I say recent, it came out last year. I think I mentioned it in our Free Guy episode because I said the fights in Free Guy were better than the fights in the G.I. Joe. Is it called Snake Origins? Snake Eyes. <laughs> Snake Origins. We got Snake Origins in this film. We did. But, um, What's really funny about that G.I. Joe movie is, again, if you're really into G.I. Joe, you're like, oh my god, the the aminosity between Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow. Is it Storm Shadow? I need Don't to ask me, I did not see it. Storm Shadow. Let me just get make sure I get this right. Storm. It's just such a stupid name. Storm Shadow. G.I. Joe. Yeah, I got it right. But like, people watch this G.I. Joe film and we're just like, oh my god! It was like Scorpio and Sub Zero, Scorpio, Scorpion and Sub Zero. You know, it's like the this, this legendary enemies. But I watched the GI Joe movie. It's like this is just shit. It's just like who gives a crap? <laughs> oh, they used to be brothers. Oh dear. And it's 
and yeah, they have a similar vibe in this between um, uh, Will Young Lee's character Ayori Yagami and Sean Farris's character Kyo Kasanagi. Yep. And are we in spoiler territory? We're in spoiler territory yep. now. Okay. The thing is, like, when you've got one actor acting as socks off, like Will Young Lee is, and Sean Farris just not able to bring it, he's so dull. And mm. there's a lot of issues with um, <laughs> Kyo Kusanagi played by Sean Farris. And I, I'm not going to claim to know his exact heritage. I looked it up after the film because I, wa- <laughs> I watched the film being like, yes, we're in, we're in a modern day and age. You don't, you, you don't have to look like your parents. But, look, um... I mean, I, I liked Cloud Atlas. and <laughs> I really want to see that. Still haven't seen it. That's that's got a hell of a lot of um, interesting approaches to ethnicity, um, but I think it's sort of like equal opportunities offensive. So it kind of works out because yeah. you'll have Caucasian actors playing Koreans, and then you'll have Koreans playing Caucasian, and Hugh Grant is a cannibal. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I read apocalypse. I saw a tweet today. Apparently, like more white actresses have won Oscars for playing Asians than like any Asian has ever won an Oscar. Mm. But um, Sean Hardy Farris was born in Houston, Texas. Uh, He is of English, German, Scottish and Irish descent. So it's just really bizarre (laughs) when you watch this film and he, and he's leaning over his dad in the, in the, who's um i really vibe with this sort of thing his dad is mute i thought he was dead but his dad is like in the hospital he's mute he seems catatonic um and they just have this 100 percent white guy being like dad dad <laughs> um, <laughs> she's like yeah i don't know you <laughs> yeah this can you imagine going to hospital saying that's my dad and like the nurses and everyone are like UK. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to judge. And, yeah, and exactly. And one could sort of suggest, oh, he's adopted or whatever. And Yori yeah. uh, says at one point, oh, he's just a half breed. He's not like genuine Kusanagi clan, etc. But then you have flashbacks to him as a child, and he's a very Asian child <laughs> really in the flashback, um, or at least you know half Asian. I, again, I'm not going to get into the sort of muddy waters, but I think it just it's a shame because there is so much very You're calling clear mudblood. You like no, I, I'm not tough. Um, I think the 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 problem is that um, you know you have this Asian representation elsewhere with these other kind of like you know you know character you know Asian performers in principal roles and that's kind of great to see and then you just have this like oh, but the chosen one slash hero needs to be this like dumb white guy who happens to have a very kind of Japanese name. And, and it's just it's just very odd. Because I just, I didn't know the characters. He's introduced like maybe, he's introduced like 20 minutes in. He's introduced after like the big uh, throwdown. Yeah, so he's introduced at the point where the film starts being boring. <laughs> so like we, we followed, the main character appears to be Mai, who's played by Maggie Q. Um so it it sort of dawned on me, oh, he's supposed to be like the chosen one. 
it's like it was like oh man my interests like slipped away more and more yeah as it became more apparent that he was meant to be the biggest deal uh i i wrote a note here i i checked my start checking my phone at 40 minutes in (laughs) (laughs) um but the, the whole thing plays into this kind of destiny between these two clans. So we kind of mentioned that there's these three artifacts, these relics, um, which are being put on display. And one needs all three relics in order to release this Orochi demon spirit. And this goes back with the Kusanagi clan and the Yagami clan, who've kind of been rivals for centuries because one of the Yagami clan ancestors tried to release Orochi and a Kusanagi ancestor killed them and returned Orochi to the sort of Neverworld or whatever. So, you know, there's beef that goes back a while, but then revelations happen where it seems like Iori Yagami might have slightly, while being under the influence of Orochi, kind of uh, mashed (laughs) Kyo's dad's face against a stone wall and that's why he's been reddened catatonic and it also has this moment where you know they're trying to find the location of the sword because um so the artifacts one's a sword one's a mirror one's like a a mask it's like a chain it's it's like a jewel it's like a kind of necklace yes okay um and when Ray Park kind of tries to steal them at the start, uh, he leaves the sword behind because it's a fake and cures the one who is in possession of the actual sword, but they're trying to find that. And Sorry, um, just to interrupt, I found it hilarious that, yeah, the big problem Rugal has is trying to find the third artifact, the sword passed down through the Kazanagi clan, and it's basically at Kyo's Kazanagi's house. <laughs> He gets it out at the end. He opens. He's got a big short shaped shaped box. Like (laughs) he could have just gone to his house. Just look up Kusanagi's in the. uh... Hmm. I mean, he already knew his father because he like beat him like earlier on. Maybe he went. He he saw um, Shikio going to get his paper out on on the front door, and Rugal saw, but he's like a white guy. He's like, nah, it's not him. (laughs) (laughs) But it also plays into the whole, you know, like dumb plot where. Okay, he needs this one item in order to merge the dark tournament dimension world and our world and yep, uh, saw rule supreme. Annihilation. Yeah. He saw the Super Mario Bros. movie and he's like, I want to merge the dimensions. And it's like, he needs this one item in order to do so. How about you bring it with you to the tournament dimension? And it's, it's you know, like, rather than... Oh, where you know you need to find the thing before he does. How about if he hasn't found it yet, leave it where it is because he probably doesn't know where it is, and neither do you. Rather than bring it directly into their hands, it's just like this annoying just trope which happens all the just time. Too impatient. Um, but I I did love the scene where Ray Park as Rugal. Um, they've got these artifacts on display at this big gathering for the fighters slash just press conference uh, yeah what was theater? that i mean yes this is big they go to a theater to show off the weapons i can't remember for what purpose it just seems to be this like i don't know tournament launch party or something whoever's sponsoring the so. tournament wants all the relics there and it's it's been kind of like surveyed by the cia and there's all this kind of security 
And yet, like, Rugal, Ray Park's character, he's not the king of fighters, he's the king of guns. <laughs> <laughs> and he, like, shoots this security guard, and the blood splat on the glass. I was like, is this a 12 certificate? Well, it's... no, that's the thing. This is why this is why it got so hyped, because it does proper blood um, packs. What do you call them? Squibs. The glass shatters squibs. Okay, okay, I'm with this. This has got a bit of grit to it. And then Ray Park enters the movie, and <laughs> he just doesn't at all emanate any sort of menace. And, mm. you know, going back to Die, not Die, uh, Dead or Alive, I wouldn't say Eric Roberts was threatening in that film, <laughs> wearing his like PJs and his like wicked cool wraparound sunglasses. But I don't think he was of... intending to be. No, he's meant to he... be like smarmy and smug. He had a commanding presence, and he just in this film, Ray Park just seems like a dude, bro, and he just—it's so funny. He has this really interestingly carved wooden chair i've just finished watching <laughs> netflix as the sandman and like the sandman is often like brooding in that almost exact same chair <laughs> but in you know tom stoppard is going i'm from the land i'm from the dreaming and here's that's like i'm a, i don't know what, it's like a martial arts tournament with uh I mean, he in Sandman, I'm going to make a Sandman, the King of Fighters comparison now. In Sandman, Dream can create dreams. He can do whatever he wants in the land of dreams. And there's a similar scene here where Ray Park welcomes like two lovers, two, two lesbian fighters. I say the lesbian fighters because I think that's how they're identified in the, the notes I was reading. They are vice and mature, and they're introduced... Um... Having had a shower yoga and lesbians. Yeah, yoga lesbians, lesbians. Um, Ray Park is like, welcome to my world. I could do anything. And he basically rolls around on rollerblades for a bit with the sound effects of an audience. We don't see the audience. There's no budget for an audience, but there's loads of cheering and he sort of awkwardly circles around these fighters. And you think if you just stuck your leg out, he would go flying. <laughs> but yeah, it's not. Yes, in this tournament realm, I can do anything. And the thing he decides to do is look like Fred Durst from Limp Biscuit. <laughs> Just cheap, cheap shit. I mean, I will say, again, this film is a bit schizophrenic because I will, I will say some of the fight dimension places look all right. Um, there is a one arena where there's like three levels of statues and masks. Although they're actually like shop dummies, but in creepy masks. And they're all wearing togas. Now, I think this is a nod to Rugal's kind of video game thing, where he likes to turn warriors into statues. Mm. So, I, yeah, so I think it's, it's definitely a nod to that. But it still looks quite visually arresting. And I think that's also one of my favorite fights because i think as uri gets sucked into this world and he has to fight the i don't want to keep vice and mature yeah the, the vice and mature because also like a vampire uh rugel kisses them and turns them evil that's how that works yeah so, so just I'm, say I'm, that. Just, I'm just saying visually some of the stuff some of these fight realms look pretty good. Ah, 
Yuri. Ruben. I gotta say, I love what you've done with the place. Ah, oh, cute. Look, girls. Yuri's come to play. Disappointed, Ruben? Actually, I can't think of anyone else who'd appreciate what I'm doing more than you. Well, um, I came to stop you. I don't think so. You. Come on, let's be honest. You have issues. I got issues. Wow. Well, I got my issues under control, but uh, you, um... Enough. Or are you just gonna stand there and keep talking? You're gonna come down and fight? Who said anything about me fighting? And it begins. I mean, even the start, which takes place basically in a meat locker, I thought it looked pretty interesting. Um, but I mean, the fight, they get into like costumes as well. Like um, Maggie Q, she's fighting a man in like a big furry coat. <laughs> and, you know, it's sort of audacious enough for me to roll with it. I quite like that. But um... yeah, later on, when Cure fights Rugal there in a dojo and. Rudol says this was your father's favorite level. Mm-hmm. And like he's Regal's wearing like a gi which says instructor on it, which I just found <laughs> kind of funny. Well, I don't, I don't know if that says, was for the character or not. It says Storm Team Instructor, and then okay. at one and then at one point, clearly they flipped the image because it's backwards. Yeah, I think I saw that too. And you know, there's a. But like as we go down like the quality list of these arenas, one of them is like a Scooby Doo corridor where you <laughs> go through one door and you pop out another door further down the corridor. And I guess that's kind of cool in like a Matrix broken reality sort of a thing. But it also seems very very cheap. And then the big final battle at the end definitely takes place in sort of a back what do you call it a lot a filming lot a studio lot in uh, Nippy Toronto where there's some very unimpressive wire work. <laughs> I think you could absolutely see Maggie Q sort of being just gently lifted up over a car, her legs <laughs> going back and forth as she goes. It's not terribly convincing. It's funny, though, because when they're magically transported to this alley, and um, I, I guess it was a reaction for a different reason, but like my Maggie Q's character, she looks around, sees all these homeless people, and just goes, oh, God. <laughs> Oh no, <laughs> the homeless! Um, what if they ask me for change? I mean, um, weird, just just weirdly though, I, I I was watching this film, and there were all these kind of like weird sort of glitches, and I thought that was a choice. I thought that like anyone who's in the fighting tournaments sort of has a sort of aura about them, but I think actually my digital file was a bit corrupted. <laughs> so um, I don't suppose you got that on your DVD. Or did no, I had crystal, crystal clear DVD vision. This is DVD. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. Well, um, just going back to like Rugal as a menacing character or not, I did like how when he's on stage and he's sort of stealing all these artifacts and he's kind of like put a mirror under his arm and like, you know, the necklace in his pocket, whatever, he just... It's just like this two-bit thief, not like this arch-megavillain. He doesn't have any backup. He just sort of runs onto the stage and just like... 
it just he, looks really I'm, this, I'm presuming this is like, as you say, a high security event, you know? Mm. It just does make you wonder, like, how far you get if you, you know, just walks into a museum and, and do a speech and then you get tasered. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, actually, he, 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 before he makes his escape, he does do a bit of martial arts and he does a he gets kicked he enters a flip and then he lands on the side of the stage on his spine and they put in a crack sound effect and i thought he was definitely paralyzed (laughs) but it turns out he's the main villain (laughs) there was this other character i forget her name but she's kind of the mentor of may uh chizuru she sort of runs the tournament Mm. and she's one of the other kind of clan dynasty uh, warriors and she spends a lot of time in hospital because she had to get very handily sliced on the tummy by a sword during that fight and then at the end of the film she disappears into like petals like the turtle from kung fu panda (laughs) and when i freeze framed it to take a photo it looks really nice just anything in motion is a bit problematic (laughs) (laughs) yeah Um, i think there's just it's like there's opportunities for like fun stuff in there and it just always never quite manages it. I think after the sort of the fight we mentioned where um, Rugal's in hockey regalia and um, he's kind of possessed mature and sent vice back into the real world. And it's her kind of calling up all the other fighters and she's got in her phone contacts list, G Chan which is obviously the director. Um, but the way she's kind of calling all the fighters, just like, oh, yeah, you should definitely join the tournament. Oh, yeah, it's going to yeah. be amazing. Oh, and like hilarious. luring all these fighters to the doom. It's like she's in this kind of infomercial or or something. It reminds me of Father Ted, where like Mrs. Doyle still start, starts <laughs> a gossip around Craggy Island and we're just having... <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I'm assuming... Here's the thing, though. So... I'm going to write this down, sorry. They're called Vice and... Mature. Vice and Mature. Good Lord. Um, They get... They transport to the fight dimension. What happens to your actual body when you go to the fight dimension? And how long... Like, does time move more quickly there? Because I don't think the film really ever decides. I do know that you seem to completely disappear because Vice and Mature go to the hockey fight... And then only one of them comes back. And it certainly implies that the other one is, is there, stuck in the fight dimension. But other times it seems like people go back and forth into the fight dimension within like a, a, a second. Mm. It's... um. They, well, all I remember is that they keep on... There's this one scene where the main kind of, I guess, four characters all get together and sort of reveal that Maggie... Q Mize is an undercover agent. She's working with Terry and she didn't tell Iori who they've got a little thing, um, you know, for each other, etc. But I think they say the phrase another dimension multiple times. And I just keep on thinking another dimension, another dimension, another dimension, another dimension. Intergalactic planetary. (laughs) (laughs) I did like how they would, I mean, again, for like half the film, I think before it's really properly explained, what the upper dimension is, they do mention the upper dimension very casually, like a lot, like it's a known thing. And 
I don't know. It just seems... Yeah, everyone talks time... about it in a very casual way at the start, but then it, you realise later on, oh, it's only because these are all fighters. Like, yeah, the security guard... The, the security guard who gets, like, exploded, um, or, like, at least gunned down by Rugal, he's the main fighter that my fights in the sort of opening battle. And oh, he just he? seems to be, like, a casual... Yeah, because he sort of, like, gives uh, my like, a double take when oh. they go in and he talks about he needs to get back into practice i think so that i i mainly remembered him because he had like a really awful uh soul patch um okay. you know little beard thing um not like the good soul patches <laughs> sorry soul patch fans um but yeah so it seems to be this thing that everyone kind of knows about but enough to have like this big gathering at this museum but it i guess the the crucial bit of information is that oh and it takes place in another dimension another dimension is <laughs> just something unbeknownst to terry the cia agent who's you know kind of meant to be the audience surrogate and be like you're telling me this all takes place in another dimension another dimension um <laughs> no it, it does have this weird energy but it's like a lot of those films like I'm thinking of the Ghostbusters franchise where the first film categorically proves the afterlife is real and everyone kind of is completely okay and we just don't even explore that at all. <laughs> not, not even in the first film. I know there's sceptics of the ghosts in the Ghostbuster film, but it still seems, you know, a bit disquieting, especially when they like, might be chasing around your grandmother. Um with their proton packs. Anyway, <laughs> I think uh, we are risking applying logic to this film. But it does not help that, as we mentioned, you have this bland, cure character versus this interesting Yuri character. Yuri dealing with battling literal inner demons and cure just dealing with, I don't know, using Clearasil to like <laughs> preserve his beautiful, spotless face. I think... It's also like he's um he no he is worried that he can't um measure up to his father's legacy, and it's kind of diff it's kind of difficult that we as the audience are like absolutely you can't look at you, <laughs> <laughs> but also like I, his so his he doesn't have any he he's aware of the tournament he's aware of that his father competed in it but he doesn't seem to be aware of like the whole dimension and Rugal stuff. So it's like what he knows as as kind of a again, he's not the audience surrogate. He's like meant to be our in when you have this character just like, wait, I'm the chosen one. But he sort of seems to know like half of what's going on and not the other half. So it's not really when he kind of like has all these revelations about Rugal killed my father or or you know, it's Rugal's fault this or or whatever, I we're not I don't know whether we're meant to be feeling like surprised on his behalf or yeah, he's feeling I surprised. What, I get what you mean. There's usually a moment in these films where somebody goes, Oh, everything I, everything my father said is true, but I don't think that ever happens. He just sort of like, all right, then. <laughs> I mean, there is a flashback when his father is possessed by a and he's got like red uh, eyes and he's like chasing after. I thought I dreamed that. That cure. was a long time ago. With a with a sword, <laughs> that was quite funny. I mean, disturbing. I mean, but also like flashing right to the end though. Um, they're looking, having put their his father's soul to rest, as it were. Mm. Um, they put down like a little 
lantern on the water and A, it doesn't actually go out very far. The waves keep pushing it back, but the camera doesn't linger on that. I did, but the camera doesn't. And then, like, um, he's looking out to sea, and then his dad like, appears from behind him. He walks into frame. Ghost dad appears. And I literally just said out loud, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, boo. <laughs> it's me, dead dad. Yeah. Um, I mean, it just doesn't help that clearly, like, Kyo is a fan favorite of the games and he's front and center and all the kind of cover art and, and, and stuff like that. And then you just got this very bland entity in his place. And he's also like, he's a motorcycle mechanic. He's a motorbike repairman, which is like the male version of fashion columnist for a glossy magazine okay. in like rom-coms. Well, no, I'm just like saying as as like <laughs> no, I'm just saying generic as, like, job. Generic job. If you're in a rom com, the main female lead she has to be a fashion columnist in a at a glossy magazine because it means or a photojournalist. It means that she's allowed to do anything. She doesn't have to worry about her job. She can have a flashy apartment. She can just go anywhere or do anything without it really impacting the story. In it would this have been film, great and if I he think had, in like my... repeated phone calls from a disgruntled motorcycle owner, be like, "Is my motorcycle fixed yet? Where did I get it... a motorcycle?" But mechanic or or motorbike repairman or or you know that sort of a job seems to be. I mean, I guess like it came from the desert, although it plays more into the plot there. Um, but it just it's like a very generic. We got to give the guy a job, which is like. Oh, he's a bit rough. Oh, he's a bit tough. Oh, he's, you know, got some technical knowledge or, you know. Um, motorcycles yeah. is a thing. It reminds me of Tron Legacy, where, like, the main character in that, he's not a motorcycle repairman, but I don't know. I just don't understand this. Well. by the presence of motorcycles in two films. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also just, like, odd when... Like, Mai goes off with him back to his place, and there's, like, this very laboured moment where not only does he have two motorcycle helmets, clearly for no reason other than because they need to drive to his place because he has no significant other in his life. It's not like his dad would suddenly wake up from a catatonic state and be like, oh, yeah, let's take you home on the motorcycle immediately. Um, Unless he kept it with him. It's like, oh, it's my dad's motorcycle helmet. Yeah, I need to keep it with me at all times, just in case. I did like how his dad, like, he's he's catatonic until, like, someone he despises walks in. And then he, he wakes up out of pure rage. <laughs> and he dies a minute later. But like, I, I got to thinking about the sort of people who might wake me up from a catatonic state. Like, if I'm ever... if I'm ever to have a list prepared. Yeah, if I'm ever medically mute, um, just bring in, like, you know, cycle. I'm talking about helmets, cyclists who have a cycle helmet, but have it dangling from the handlebars. Um, people okay, that's who... going to be a weird thing to, like... <laughs> because he, like, wakes up because he hears the name, not just because he sees sure. the person. So I'd okay. be like, oh, I guess, like, please sit down, cyclist who has your cycle helmet handling from behind the handlebars. Well, I guess then the only other person who would fit that description is George Ezra, because I don't like him. <laughs> I I quite enjoy his music. I just, I mean, I was, I actually, I'm going to see him in concert next. Yeah. Well, like I, I was looking at one of his music videos, and somebody said, 
like on, in the comments, the way his head doesn't match his voice still confuses me. And I think that's why I just, I don't know. I think it's because that shotgun song, he's just brazenly rhyming shotgun with hot sun. And it annoys me so much. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, God, it, it is so damn catchy. I fucking hate you. But it's just, I think it's, I hate that I like it and I hate, I hate it. But anyway, so just saying, I know I've just slated Jaws Ezra, but if you could, if you'd be so kind to visit me in hospital, <laughs> if I'm ever in a coma, you might help wake me up. And just... be sure to cycle over, but put your cycle helmet on the handlebar. Yeah. <laughs> Look out the window, Harry. Jaws race George Ezra on a boat on the cycle with his helmet dangling off the handlebar. Or oh, he's one of those bastards who presses the stop button on a bus when somebody else has already pressed it i don't know why people do that if someone could explain it to me it's just like it's like they're terrified of the bus driver forgetting that the stop sign has been lit i don't know anyway this is very complicated list i'm gonna have to prepare in case of a coma harry so okay i'm not even joking (laughs) (laughs) what did you do to my father joe he didn't do anything my father was completely unresponsive for 10 years. And you walk in, he wakes up and tries to kill you. Why? It's about our families. He was a Kusanaki. And you're a Yagami. And you understand. We're destined to be enemies. What was that about? He can't help us, mine. And you won't. I don't know what's worse. My. Look, just let me talk to him. He has to know something. I have to try. Speaking of King, the King of Fighters, as we should be doing, <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's anything else really to say. I mean, I, I could, like in terms of its camera work, the camera. It's not just the Dutch angles. During the fights, the camera can seem all over the place. There was a bit when the camera kind of like stumbled towards Ray Park as if, you know, if it was tripping over itself a bit. Um, I didn't see that, but I did see the nurse who lets them in to see Papa Krisanagi does look square down through into the camera lens at one point. Um well, I, I, I like that bit because she was give. It was like the bit in the Science of the Lambs when Jodie Foster is going to meet uh, Anthony Hopkins, but she's just going to meet. He's he's just going to meet his dad, <laughs> or she's. I can't remember who she was. It is Maggie Q being taken to see. Yeah, the dad. Okay. Yeah, I, I think the main thing. Yeah, is just if we kind of head to the climax where. Basically, everyone goes into the tournament dimension to defeat Rugal. And there's a few little choice moments. I agree about generally the camera work not being great, but there is a sort of fight where it's Terry and Mai versus Vice and Mature in this sort of stairwell. Mm. And the camera does kind of pan back and forth between them and in a sort of satisfying way. And you do get the levels as they kind of drop down the for breaking through the wooden staircase. And, yeah. and that was maybe, you know, a sort of fight sequence, which was mildly interesting. 
And uh, again, I'm imagining this in like impact text on a DVD cover. <laughs> mildly interesting fights. And when Kyo uh, and Rugal fight in the dojo, there's a bit where Rugal's like selecting his weapon, yes. and like these clubs and bats like are thrown to him clearly from just like prop guys, like just at, like oh. different points around him. It's like when people enter the dimension, when they're just walking through a sheet and they put a little bit of an effect on it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, it should, I mean, it could have been a lot more fun. It could have had more fun like that. And and also just, you know, Ray Park is a martial artist. There are definitely martial artists in this film, but it's very rare that the camera holds them long enough to make it seem impressive. Mm. And I wonder if that's either just, there wasn't enough time to do it. But then why even make a martial arts film? Yeah. But I, I think it's it's also at this point where it, it tries to do the most to acknowledge its game origins. And this announcer who appeared um, during his Rugal's fight earlier on reappears. And when it's Rugal versus Iori, it says round one, Rugal versus Iori, ready, go, which is how King of Fighters bouts are introduced. And also we get a moment where Terry is fighting some homeless people who I think have been possessed because the world's yeah. emerging, etc. Got like and... Matrix Resurrections vibe when mm. it goes evil. And he spots someone wearing a Fatal Fury cap, punches them, and then puts the cap on his head. And that's the thing from the games. Well, he wear the Terry character wears a Fatal Fury cap, yeah. and I think also later on he kicks someone and then tosses the hat, and I think that's like a win uh, celebration move that he does too. Yeah, I mean, again, going to the trivia section of IMDb, like the granular level of detail some of these fans have, where um, like oh, the reason I'm bringing this up is because yeah, Terry is clearly wearing like a video game styled outfit. Um, but again, according to this trivia, they've got like the colors wrong, the measurements wrong. You talk about like, yeah, I'm not going to go into that. I think it's always weird whether like it says here, her cup size is G for Garu, same as FF for Fatal Fury. What? There's some two out of four people found that bit of trivia interesting. Anyway, <laughs> um, so I guess in a nutshell. We wanted, to, as always, we really want to love these films. And I think there was a lot of potential. And I would actually recommend watching the first 20 minutes. <laughs> Everything until Ray Park disappears through his magic mirror. I just wish the film kept that energy going. Because after that point, there's just a lot of just actors, bad actors, delivering kind of rote lore. And it's a, it's a hell of a shame. Always looking for the next dead or alive. <laughs> the quest continues. Mm. I th yeah, I mean, we haven't even talked how Rugal dies. Um, <laughs> yes, just, yeah. Who, yeah, I mean, it's basically like they get all three artifacts together. They trap him in a magic triangle, which was not possible previously because they said two, he's too powerful now. But then they managed to kind of do it better the next time. But then, like, Rugal, like, breaks the sword but he needs that sword. Well, here's, here's the thing, right? 
I and my it might have been just bad storytelling. I don't know, but th- yes, Ray Parks he cuts. He breaks the sword, and the sword looked very rubbery just before he broke it. It looked very, very fake. But I'm wondering if that sword as well... So this the sword he nicks off Kyo, and then he breaks that sword, basically highlighting that that sword is also a fake. Because then Kyo gets like a burning, flaming sword out of his back for like a split second, and then throws a blade at Ray Park, who gets cut in half again like he did in The Phantom Menace, except this time it was vertically. I'd have loved him to have been like John Hurt in Spaceballs. Oh no, He's not got again. range. <laughs> He's got range. Horizontal and vertical range. <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking, I'm thinking that what the film was trying to convey was that um, the sword was in him this whole time, question mark? The sword was, the sword was in him all along. Yeah, and the the box the, the the sword he had under his bed was a red herring all this time ah uh, right so 10 out of 10 then <laughs> yeah so it all, it all understand it improves the whole movie yeah this is a film you need to watch twice to get everything <laughs> <laughs> um but no i don't think i'm gonna be watching this again <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i don't think there's like the expectation or or of a sequel but the the film does finish with Iori like glaring from across a pier I think looking at the happy gang who were all sort of you know yay Rugal's been vanquished um and you have Iori just like staring menacingly at Cure and again it's like he's the most interesting character he's got got a real smolder going he's like you know this tortured warrior maybe trying to reconcile with like his destiny Maybe he's either looking at the audience or like the the other filmmakers with absolute contempt. <laughs> like, I was in the Bond franchise. Now look at me. <laughs> um, oh well, onwards and upwards, as I always like to say. Uh, in the meantime, how could people keep in touch with Games on Film? You can find more information about the podcast and video game movies on our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast. You can find us on social media where we post details of upcoming video game movie and TV releases. That's on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at gamesonfilmpod. You can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com. And you can find me on Twitter at Rory Steele. I'm at only man who can. And all episodes of the podcast are available wherever you get your podcasts. So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. And the music for this episode and all episodes was composed by David Lightfoot. Okay, well, we're now going to return to the literally anything else dimension. <laughs> I mean, if you mentioned in this film, there's like at least 11 alternate universes. So it's kind of like a limited multiverse. It's like a discount multiverse. <laughs> it's not the multiverse of madness. It's the limited verse of concern. I need to think of better names for these sort of things. But anyway, until next time. <laughs> Instead I'm... of everything, everywhere, all at once, it's something, somewhere. A bit of the time. <laughs> a bit of the time. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thanks for listening. I've been Harry. I've been Rory. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.